Just... Test, test. Let's go ahead and stand as we get started. Everybody doing okay? All right. Thank you for being with us online tonight. Glad that you've tuned in with us. Uh, we're going to open up in prayer and get right into our Bible study. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Some of us, we need to lift up two hands, two feet, and, you know, it's like the hokey pokey. Put your whole self in and take your whole self out. Uh, if you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, let's just pray. Father, tonight we are grateful. Uh, Lord, we're grateful as we move into this really busy and hectic season. Uh, Lord, it's also a time of contemplation and a time of just reflecting on the greatest and indescribable gift that's been given to each of us. Thank you that you saw the helplessness of humanity and you became one of us to do for us what we could not do ourselves. And, Lord, we rejoice in that. Lord, we rejoice in the sights and the sounds of the season. And, Father, as we open up tonight, we do so with a grateful heart, thanking you for your blessings, thanking you for your kindness and, and, and just your availability. Lord, I pray for every hand that went up in the building tonight. Uh, Lord, signifies a need in our life tonight. God, I thank you that you're our healer, you're our deliverer. Lord, you're our confidant, our counsel. Uh, Lord, you're that strong tower that we can run to. Anything that we need, you are, and I thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, for those that need healing, that you would touch their bodies. Lord, there are a number that are battling with some sickness and, and other ailments. Father, just touch them and heal them. Lord, for those that are, Lord, just maybe they're, they, they have the holiday blues. I just pray, Father, that the reason of the season would just permeate and just bring joy to, the, to them. Uh, Lord, that was the message of that first Christmas, joy to the world. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll meet every financial need. Uh, Lord, we pray for all the ministries on campus tonight. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would be lifted high and exalted. Be with us in our time of study. We continue to pray for uh, the peace of Jerusalem and also for revival in our land. We thank you for uh, listening. Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we pray and you respond. We ask all of these things believing that we receive it because we ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated tonight. Go ahead and turn with me to Lamentations. Lamentations. Now, you might, if you're going to have to go to the front of your Bible, I'll just tell you it's after Jeremiah. <laughs> so, give you a little, a little cheat there. It comes after Jeremiah. Um, anyway, while you turn in there, a couple of a th- couple of things to think about uh, announcement-wise. Tomorrow is our food distribution day, uh, right here at. Uh, Nine o'clock, and uh, we'll we've got the truck out there loaded with food, and uh, we'll be ready to distribute tomorrow. Friday night is the Cleburne Christmas parade, and uh, we are providing and hosting the uh, slide, the snow slide again this year. And uh, if you want to come out and help us, uh, uh, we will be there at five o'clock. There on Hillsborough Street, uh, so it's right there at Hewland Park. We'll be right there set up. And that will be from, basically, we're going to be there from 5 to 9. Uh, we'll tear down at 9 o'clock. And uh, then on uh, Sunday, remember, we're having one service on Sunday because we've got a professional actor coming in. Uh, Kurt Cloninger is going to be here, and he's doing a presentation, Celebrate the Child. And it's, it's going to be wonderful. If you, you know, if you've never invited anybody, our theme is each one bring one, but if you haven't brought one, Bring them Sunday. It's 1045. We'll have Sunday school and then the 1045 service, uh, and it's going to be a wonderful, 
uh, presentation. I'm excited about that. So uh, anyway, just kind of make note of those things. There were a few more that was on my mind, but they were fleeting, and they done fleeted out. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's get right into our, our word tonight. So as you can see, I, I'm not going to really do uh, a, a new series on Wednesday night until we, uh, I may do some Christmas things um, uh, until we get after the first of the year. But uh, tonight I want to talk about a faithful God, a faithful God. Lamentations chapter 3, uh, how many ever read Lamentations before? Isn't that a depressing book? <laughs> um, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'll read verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Let me read that again. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So as we jump right into this, this really attracted me. I, I was thinking about, uh, you know, I mentioned Sunday how, um, you know, for some people, again, they celebrate this time of year. It's a joyous time. And then for other people, it's a time of the holiday blues, you know, whether, you know, regardless of, of what that what brings that, there are just some people that are on cloud nine and there's some people that are, uh, you know, like the old Peanuts character, the pig pen, you know, they just kind of walk around and there's gloom and doom and or Eeyore of Winnie the Pooh. Um, you know, one of the, one of the fundamental truths, you know, regarding our faith is that God is faithful. You know, that, that, that is the, that is one of the, um, one of the fundamental truths to our faith is the fact that God is faithful. And, and the second part of that is his faithfulness has nothing to do with our faithfulness. Again, the fundamental truth is God is faithful. The second part of that is that his faithfulness has nothing to do with my faithfulness. In fact, the Bible even says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that if we are faithless, what? He remains faithful. So again, it has nothing to do, his faithfulness, you know, so, so sometimes our relationships, sometimes our friendships are hinged on, on whether, you know, John does something for me, I'll do something for him. It's that, it's that, what do they call that, reciprocity? You know, you do for me, I do for you. That's not so. God's faithfulness has nothing to do with my faithfulness because when I am faithless, he remains faithful. And so, you know, for me, with so much uncertainty in our world today, it's kind of assuring to serve one who is consistent. You know, that's, a, that's an incredible thing to know that we have one who is consistent. Let me, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever heard, maybe, anybody here ever heard of the name Thomas Obadiah Chisholm? Anybody recall that name, ever heard that name before? It's an interesting story. You can go Google it one, time, one day when you want to. But anyway, he was born in Franklin, Kentucky in 1866. Now, again, his story is pretty interesting. He never went to high school. He never went to college. But at the age of 16, he became an elementary school teacher. Five years later, he was named associate editor of Franklin Favorite, which was the local newspaper there in Kentucky. Did I say Tennessee? It's Kentucky. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but anyway, he became the editor of, a lo of the local newspaper. When he was 27, he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, and went on. He became a method. He served as a Methodist minister, and later on, he also served as an insurance agent, which that's an interesting combination there. Uh, but his story is he was never healthy. He he always battled some type of physical ailment, some type of of sickness, and during his lifetime. And the thing that's intriguing about his story is during his lifetime, this guy who did not go to high school, did not go to college, wrote over 1,200 poems. In 1923, he sent a batch of his poems off um, to a musician who happened to be serving at a local church in Chicago. And uh, one, of those, 
writings that he wrote was so, he was so moved by it, so impressed by it, that he decided to set that poem to music. And he made a song out of it. Now, he published, he published it privately, uh, not really knowing that it would become one of the most beloved hymns of the 20th century. In 1954, George Beverly Shea with the Billy Graham Association introduced that poem that now had become a song uh, at their crusade that they held in London. Later on, Thomas, later on in his life, Thomas Obadiah Chisholm wrote, he said, my income, and I quote, he said, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in my earlier years, which has followed me until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness, end quote. I like that phrase that he uses, astonishing gratefulness. By the way, that hymn that I referred to that is actually based on our text tonight. Most of us know the words by heart. Thomas Chisholm called it simply, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, there's something interesting about that. How many of you know that song? There, there's something interesting about that song, actually about the way we sing that song. You know, it's kind of paradoxical the way we sing that song because, or the way we use the hymn because we tend to sing that song in moments of, of triumph, in moments where we have experienced God's blessing and his favor. And so we just automatically slide into a great is thy faithfulness because we applaud and are marveled at the faithfulness of God. You know, we sing it at weddings, graduations, end of the years. We look back over uh, the previous year and we see the hand of God and the faithfulness of God and we, we sing that. But that song is, is based on this text in Lamentations. Lamentations was written during Israel's lowest of lows. I mean, it was a low time. It was a dark time. In fact, if you know what the word lament means, then you kind of get the idea of what Lamentations is all about. Uh, it was written by Jeremiah as he sat amid the ashes of a destroyed Jerusalem. He is, his, his mood is bleak. His words are dark and they're angry. His tone is, if, if you read Lamentations, his tone is one of near total despair. And, and for most of the book, when you read that book, for most of it, there's not one word of hope. There's not one ray of light in Lamentations except when you get to our text. And when you read the text, all of a sudden it seems like light is beginning to appear. Have you ever been in a real dark place and then all of a sudden you see light in the distance. Isn't that comforting? It, it, you know, when, when we would deploy in the military, they, for whatever reason, the military loved doing night stuff, night exercises. You know, when normal people are sleeping, <laughs> they, they want to be playing war games. And there were times we would be deployed, you know, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, and it'd get dark, and all you had was the the, the starlights or the moonlight, or sometimes you didn't have any of that stuff. And, and yet if you're there all night long, all of a sudden, you know, 5 o'clock, 5.30 a.m., 6 o'clock, depending on what time of the year it is, all of a sudden in the eastern sky, you see a, a, a hint of light. And you know that just a few minutes longer, and that sun will come peeking over that horizon and things will get bright and illuminated. See, that's kind of where we are in our text tonight um, you know, it's easy in our text, the light begins to break through. And again, it's one thing to sing great is thy faithfulness in joyful moments. It's altogether a different matter to sing great is thy faithfulness when the rug is pulled out from under us. You know, we sing it at our children's graduation, um, from high school, but you know what? It's a lot more difficult to sing it when our child announces that they're leaving the faith. It's easy to sing of God's faithfulness when all is well. It's altogether a different story when all those when tough times come. But yet this text was written at a at one of the worst moments in their history. It's a it's a word of lament. Now, here's the thing about our text tonight. It's not a our text is not an answer to the mysteries of life. It's not what it's intended to be. It's not about politics or circumstances we face every day. In fact, in Hebrew, 
uh, in Hebrew, this speaks to the defining characteristic of God. The defining characteristic of God. Some translations read it like this. Because of God's great love. Others would read it like this. The Lord's act of mer- because of the Lord's acts of mercy. Still others render this verse because of the Lord's loving kindness. Tied up in that, those verses or those translations is the character of God that he is faithful and his faithfulness never ends. It never runs out. That's what that text is all about. There's a song that says it never, I, don't, I can't sing it, don't know, it's something about it never runs uh, out on me, something like that. You know, this, this is, this, again, it's not about the mysteries of life. It's not about politics or circumstances. This verse here is a word about the character of God. If, if we understand the character of God, then it doesn't matter if the wind blows against us. It doesn't matter uh, how things may be imploding in our lives. If we understand the character of God, we're going to be okay. You know, our text declares that he is our hope amid hopelessness. He is our light when all around us is darkness. He's that way when we can't find another way. He's our reason for living when most of us would rather have given up. So let, let me unpack these, ver- this, these couple verses tonight by simply uh, what I did was let's look at some questions that we would ask from this text. Number one, why doesn't God judge me? You ever thought about that? You know, I, I've often joked that if I was God, my finger would get a workout. <laughs> zip, 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 zip. You know, be zapping people. You laugh, but you know you'd do the same thing. Most of us have a hit list. <laughs> you know, but why doesn't God judge us? I mean, again, it's a strange question, but when you and I realize that we often miss the mark and we often fail, why doesn't God judge or destroy us? I mean, that's a legitimate question. The, the reality is every one of us walk closer to the edge than we actually think. I've often heard it put like this. There's a thin line between disaster and prosperity, joy and sorrow, li- laughter and tears, life and death. There's a thin line. I mean, think about it. If the car had swerved that way instead of this way, Right? If the four-wheeler had rolled this away instead of that away, if the bird that struck, if the bird that struck the engine, had, if it had hit here instead of there, if the gun had not malfunctioned, see those are those are legitimate circumstances that you know. Again, why did it happen this way and not that way? You know, one thing during the pandemic that one thing that we learned very very well is that we're not in control. I mean, if we didn't learn anything else during the pandemic, again, amid all of the conspiracies and all the misinformation and all the junk that floats around about all that, listen to me, the one thing that we did learn is that you and I are not in control of our destiny. We are not the captains of our ship. We're not. I mean, think about it. Let a microscopic virus invade our lungs, and we may end up in a bed or in a hospital are on our way to the morgue. We're not in control. Again, who can understand the mysteries of the universe? I mean, why am I alive today and somebody else is not? Why have I been to many funerals and nobody's been to mine? Well, Jeremiah gives us the answer. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. That's it. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. So why doesn't God destroy us? Well, he could. And I would say, furthermore, he probably should. He could because he's God, and he should because we are sinners. Why doesn't he? Jeremiah says it's because of his great love. That's why. It's because of his great love. The Hebrew word for love is hesed, and it's a word that means loyal love. Loyal love. And, and that word, the, lo- the loyal love, it has nothing to do. It doesn't depend on emotions. It depends on an act of the will. So what that means is God is determined to love us because he promised to love us. And nothing can break that promise. 
God promised to love us, and there's nothing that can break that promise. Uh, Again, the reality is, as bad as things are, if it weren't for God, things would be much worse. How many believe that? As bad as it is, and again, I don't minimize anybody's pain or anybody's suffering. You know, when I want to get on my, get down in my feelings and have a sob, you know, somebody done, done, done me wrong song, you know, if I want to start singing that song, then I got to remember that had it not been for the Lord, things could be a whole lot worse. My situation could be much, much more grievous than it is right now. Listen uh, to that again. If it were not for God, no matter how bad things are in our lives right now, they would be a whole lot worse without the Lord. We often forget this, particularly in an entitlement-driven society that we live in. You know, we tend to think we deserve something, right? Like we deserve it, you know. Even when we pray, you know, we reason within ourselves, well, you know, I've been good, so God has to do this for me. How little we understand about the grace of God. One of the greatest passages, I think, in Scripture, and I've taught through uh, Romans, a good bit of Romans, but Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he, said, he, he writes this. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, again, we somehow think we're the masters of our destiny and captain of our ship, but the truth is we're all totally dependent on God for everything. Absolutely, totally dependent. If, we're not God, if it were not for God's great love, we would all go, to, go into eternity yet a sinner. That's it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. If it wasn't for his great love, we would go into eternity yet a sinner, lost and undone. You know, our hope of heaven is not personal improvement. It's not self-help techniques. It's not really spiritual growth. It's God's grace. That's our ticket to heaven. It's God's grace. If God's grace isn't enough, listen, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. What is our hope in the face of death? Well, our hope lies in the fact that God's grace reaches us while we are sinners. It saves us as sinners, and it keeps us even when we fail, when we die. It's that same grace that will take us all the way to glory, His grace. In many ways, we don't hear much about the doctrine of God's grace. But when we do, it's one of the hardest to believe. Because we have been taught to believe that if it sounds too good to be true, that it probably is. We struggle. There are people that struggle with that. Surely, by confession and repentance, God doesn't just wipe the slate clean. I, I mean, you know, we look at our past and we see how miserable of a person we may have been and we somehow think we we've got to do more you know there are religions around the world right now that that they do penance and they do all kinds of things i i saw a, an episode of the travel channel and they were in some tribe in south america and they were it was a holy day uh, i don't even remember the tribe but they, it was a holy day and they had a long parade and, and festival and there were people that had stripped down to a to, uh, I, I don't know what you would call it, a loincloth type thing, and they had this whip, and they would, they would take a step, and they would whip themselves. And they'd take another step, and they'd whip themselves. And they did that from wherever they were to the temple. And that was their, their prayer, of, of their, their penance for absolution of, of all their wrongdoing. Thank God it's by grace we've been saved. One day C.S. Lewis happened to be strolling by a group of people discussing the features of Christianity and which one separated it from other, all the other religions. And without even batting an eye, C.S. Lewis looked at him. He said, why grace, of course. <laughs> and, and you know what? He was right. It's grace. You know, do you want mercy or justice? If, it, if it's justice, then guess what? We'll have it and we'll be sorry. If it's mercy, then we can have it, but we have to remember when we receive it, that we don't deserve it. It's because of the Lord's great love that we're not consumed. The second question I would ask, well, how do I know that God will keep on loving me? Well, he answers that in verse 22 as well. For his compassions never fail. That's good. His compassions never fail. And and, and I want to point your attention to the word compassions. 
It's an unusual word. In English, you never see compassions. You know, it'd be like deers. Right? It's not compassion. We, we don't think of it as in, in singular or plural. But in this verse here, note, how, note the plurality of it, his compassions. Again, very unusual in English. God's compassion is plural. Well, what does that mean? Well, James kind of gives us an insight. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, he gives us more grace. More grace. John 1, 16 speaks of grace upon grace. He heaps grace upon us. Many, uh, again, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we lose the sense of gratitude for their blessings, and it's especially true of those blessings we get every single day. How many's ever heard, how many know Andy Rooney? You know, grump, sourpuss. <laughs> Here's what he said. He said, for most of life, nothing wonderful happens. Isn't that a pessimist? For most of life, nothing wonderful happens. But then he goes on, and he kind of explains that. He, said, he goes on and says, well, if you can't find happiness in things like having a cup of coffee with your wife or sitting down to a meal with family and friends, then you're probably not going to live a very happy life. If you sit around dreaming about winning the big contract or hoping uh, for the love of your life to call you up, wondering if the Cowboys are ever going to win a Super Bowl, you're going to spend a lot of time wishing your life away about things that may not happen. Now, if you're a Cowboy fan, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it quite like that, but, but you, got, you get the point. And he's right. And, and he goes on and he describes, he said, you know, we, 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 we get so caught up and we worry about these things and, and all of these. He said, meanwhile, the sun will rise tomorrow and we won't see it. A friend will say hello to us and it won't matter to us. Our children will giggle and laugh, but we won't smile. The roses will bloom. Snow will cover the front yard. Your husband or your wife will offer to rub your back or rub your smelly, I mean, your feet. <laughs> the choir will sing your favorite song. And because it's ordinary, because it happened, it might, it might happen all the time. You've seen it before. You've heard it. You've done it before. You keep dreaming of something better in the future. You miss it altogether. You miss it all together. How blessed we really are already. How easy it is to forget what God's already done. Down through the years and 30 years of, of pastoral ministry, I've, I've had people come to see me who find themselves at, at wit's end. Everybody know where wit's end is, right? We've all been to wit's end. And I always try to provide when people come because I know it's a serious thing for them. I always try to provide a listening ear and then always, if the Lord impresses on me, I always try to provide a sense of direction as led by the Holy Spirit. And I know sometimes, listen, a listening ear is a big deal. Sometimes just a listening ear can be a great value to folks. I've never sat there and tried to tell anybody what to do because that's not my job, you know, and I'm not qualified to make life decisions for other people. I'll sit there prayerfully, and we'll talk, and we'll, uh, you know, we may throw some things out, and if I feel led of the Lord, I'll throw out some, some ideas, offer advice, and in the end, I'll tell them that's exactly what it is, and they have to prayerfully decide for themselves the course of their lives. I have, however, had a few instances where I've had people contact me uh, seeking a listening ear, and so when I go in uh, to, get to, to whoever they may be, I'm expecting to hear something incredibly difficult or incre incredibly bad. And there have been a few occasions what I got was not something incredibly ba bad, but something very shallow, very shallow and childish, or actually, to be honest with you, quite a, several times just very childish. And in those moments, I have on occasion politely scolded them and tried to remind them that if this, this is all you have to be upset about, you need to change your perspective and count your blessings. Because sometimes that's what happens. We, we focus on the minutia of life, the, the problems that are insignificant. What is the old saying? We make a, a mountain out of a molehill. I've, I've, had, I've had couples that have come in down through the years, and they, uh, again, they're, they're at each other's throat. They're, they're, they're fighting. And, and when you sit down and you calm everything down and you try to get to the root of it and you scratch your head and you're like, really? 
You're going to fuss about this? You're going to throw your marriage away over something like this? He won't take the trash out when you tell him? Well, don't tell him. (laughs) He'll get around to it. If he squeezes the toothpaste from the middle and you want it from the end, get your own toothpaste. I, I, I say that facetiously, but there are people that, that absolutely come to blows over silly things like that. You know, I hadn't shared this in a long time, but some of you remember me telling about the couple went in to see their, their pastor, and, and they were just fighting all the time. And he looks at the man and says, well, tell me your opinion. What is all this about? And he said, she won't make me biscuits anymore. And he looks at the wife, and he says, well, why won't you make him biscuits anymore? Well, he don't bring me flowers anymore. Looks back at the man and says, well, why don't you bring her flowers anymore? He says, because she don't make me biscuits anymore. <laughs> and on and on it goes. And, and, and unfortunately, down through the years, there have been situations that are just like that, and I've always tried to get them to refocus. I'll ask the question, so why do you still love him? Do you still love her? Yes. Then what's the problem? If you love one another, figure it out. There's a lot of other things to be upset about and worried about, and you're sitting here fighting like cats and dogs over something that really does not matter in the grand scheme of things. Listen, if we would only open our eyes to see what God has done for us, what does he say? His compassions never fail. Never fail. That, man, if we could grab hold of that truth. You know, I'm going to go to bed tonight and, you know, I do my best to live my life so I can go to bed with a clean conscience every night. But you know what? I got a guarantee that if I wake up tomorrow, I have new mercies. I have new compassions. And they'll be waiting. They'll be greeting me when I wake up. So if I didn't hit a home run today, I get another at bat tomorrow. You know, that's why I tell people that struggle with addictions and lifestyle habits and things like that, and they, they feel inferior and they feel like, you know, God's disappointed in them and they can't. His compassions, his mercies new every morning. You fail today, you get up tomorrow and you try better. Lord, today help me. The Royal Rangers, we used to, anybody remember the Royal Rangers? Royal Rangers used to have a Royal Ranger code. With God's help, I'll do my best to serve God and my fellow man, to live by the Ranger code to make the golden rule my daily rule or something like that. I hope that's right, right? <laughs> Pretty close. With God's help, I'll do my best to serve God and my fellow man. That's it. I want to hit a home run every t- You know, when I played baseball, I got up. I wanted to, Part of my problem was I always wanted to hit it over the fence. But sometimes, in, if you're strategically playing baseball, it's, the, 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 it's not to hit it over the fence. It's to get a base hit. And sometimes you need a base runner. Sometimes you need several base runners. And so if you're always trying to hit it over the fence, guess what? I mean, you look at all the home run leaders. They struck out more than they ever hit home runs. They struck out more than they ever hit home runs. You know, so I, I may get up there to bat today and try to hit a home run, and I may strike out. You know what? I'll get, a, I'll get another chance to bat tomorrow. So what I do, I get up in the morning because his mercies are new every morning. And I say, Lord, today with your help, I'll serve you and I'll serve my fellow man. That's it. If you failed today, if you didn't hit the mark that you were going for, you know what? You say, Lord, today I'm sorry. I I missed the mark. I failed. But I'm relying on the mercies tomorrow and I'm going to do a better job. And you get up in the morning and you say, all right, today, thank you for your mercies that are new. I'm ready to do it. That's it. So, So the third question that comes out of that is, Well, when will God give me what I need? Again, maybe a silly question, but he answers that too. Again, they are new every morning. Every morning. See, this verse, when you read it, again, lamentations is that. It's just lamentations. It's lamenting. It's a man who sees horrible things going on, and he's grieved deeply within himself. And yet this verse here in chapter 3, these verses are beaming with incredible hope. God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, and again, the experience of the children of Israel in the, wil- in the wilderness illustrate this principle. Think about Exodus 16. We see the story of the Exodus. And, and the Bible says that God, 
freed them and led them out with a strong hand. And you think, think back to how God did it. He, the Bible says he led them out with a strong arm or a strong hand, but he didn't leave them empty-handed because the Bible says it was the bounty of, Israel, of Egypt that was given to them. So they, they left, not as paupers, but they left as a wealthy nation. They had the storehouses open from Egypt, and they left with all of that. So they get out there, and, of course, you know the story well. You know, they get out to the, to the Red Sea, and they're surrounded, and you got the enemy coming up from the rear. What do they do? Well, they start fussing. You know, and it's almost, and, and, you know, we think sometimes modern man is the only one that's been plagued with this, what have you done for me lately mindset. Not so. It's been, all, it's been like that from day one. Because now they're, they're set free from captivity. You know, in Egypt, they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough hay. They didn't have enough straw. They didn't have enough, they didn't have enough of anything. Well, they get out there now, and now they're complaining, saying, would to God that we'd stayed back in Egypt where we had melons and leeks and onions and all this stuff. All of a sudden, this place that was so, so devastating to them and, and such bondage to them, they wanted to be free. Now that they're free, they want to go back to bondage. What does God do? God rolls up his sleeve, says, watch this. And he opens up the Red Sea, and they cross over on dry ground. They get on the other side. They have a, day, they have a praise party. The Bible says Miriam and all the ladies of Israel got together. And, and again, that's one of those things I want to see in heaven. I want to see a million and a quarter women dancing in the desert, singing and praising God about the horse and rider that he'd cast into the sea. I want to see that. But you know what? It wasn't just a couple days later. You know, after that great miracle of crossing over the Red Sea, they start grumbling again. They get out there and they, they, their bellies start grumbling a little bit. They start getting a little bit thirsty. And then they start grumbling again and they say, well, why did you bring us out here? You just wanted to kill us. <laughs> what? You brought us out here. You brought us out here to kill us. You know, at least back there we had food. Who cares about the miracles now? What have you done for me lately? We're going to starve to death. How many know there's nothing meaner than a hungry, hangry church member? <laughs> They're starving. They're hungry. They're griping, belly aching about everything. So what does Moses do? Moses goes to God and said, hey, God, we got a problem down here. These people, man, they, they are nothing but whiners and complainers. What does God say to Moses? He said, you know what, Moses, go back, go back and tell them that I'm going to provide for them. You can read this in Numbers 13, or excuse me, number 11, Numbers 11. The Bible says God sent them two things, manna and quail. And the Bible says that when God sent them meat, you know, first he sent a manna, and, and manna just simply means what is this. It was Krispy Kreme, but they didn't know to call it Krispy Kreme. That's what manna was. It was Krispy Kreme donuts. And can you imagine? They got tired of manna. I, yeah, I don't know how in the world you get tired of Krispy Kreme. I'm glad there's not one in town because I'd be there. You'd, you'd have to set up an appointment at me, with me at Krispy Kreme. So I got tired of manna. So what is, we want meat. So what does God do? He sends quail. Numbers 11 says that the quail that God sent was so plentiful it was stacked up three feet deep. That's a lot of birds. And then God gave the, the instructions were very specific. Go out and get as much as you need for yourself and for your family. But don't get any more than that. Go out and get what you need and your family, but don't get any more. Why? Because if you get any more than you need... It's going to rot, and maggots are going to infest that manna. It's not going to be good. What was the point? The point being any, anyone who tried to hoard extra would end up with a worm-infested mess. What, what, what does that mean for us today? Well, one thing it means for us is we never have to live on yesterday's blessings. We don't have to. I don't have to live on yesterday's manna. And number two, God's blessings are never early, but they're not late either. Those are two principles that we learn 
from, from that story is that we don't have to live off of the stuff from yesterday. And his blessings are not early, but they're never, they're never late. See, today's mercies are for today's problems, today's burdens. How many have burdens today? See, his mercies, today's mercies are for today's, today's burdens. Tomorrow's mercies will be for tomorrow's problems. Don't try to borrow. <laughs> Isn't that what the Bible said? Don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Why? Because his mercies are new every day. You need mercy now? Trust God for his mercy now. In, in July, uh, some of you history buffs, in, in 1945, uh, right after Great Britain had, uh, uh, after Churchill had led Great Britain to victory in World War II, uh, he was not reelected to be prime minister of Great Britain. He was defeated. And so his reign as prime minister came to an end. And hoping to console his wife, uh, his, uh, her husband, his wife Clementine came to him and basically suggested, uh, Winston, now this really is a blessing in disguise. And his response was, if so, it is very well disguised. <laughs> I, I think that's pretty good. It's very well disguised. You know, many of us probably feel the same way. If this is a blessing of the Lord, it's very well disguised. We see trouble. We want to know where the blessings are. You know, we all wonder what will happen tomorrow. Will our health hold up? Will we have a heart attack or a sudden stroke? Will we end up in a nursing home or waste away in a hospital? What about our children? Will they serve the Lord? Will they raise their kids to serve the Lord? What if something happens to them? I mean, do, do, we, do we think like that, right? He'll take care of us in our old age. Yeah, no, it's, He'll take care of us in our old age. You know, singles often wonder if they'll ever marry. Married couples wonder if, no, they don't wonder why they got married. <laughs> we, 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 we wonder. We all have concerns. We're concerned about career choices. We wonder where we're going to be in 10 years. Listen, let's take the lesson of Lamentations 3.23 God's mercies come day by day. That's it. I can't live off of next week's blessings and his mercies. I live today on his mercies. They come when we need them. Not early, not later. They come when we need them. God gives us what we need today. You know what? If I need more today, he'll give me more today. That's the truth. If I need more, he's going to give me more, right? When we need something else, he'll give us what we need. I believe that with all of my heart. But we're always trying to borrow from tomorrow and take something from the future and bring it into today. It, can't, it doesn't work that way. His mercies are new every single day. What I need today, what did he tell Paul? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient right now. It provides. It takes care of us. Nothing that we truly need will ever be withheld from us. And I, I believe, if I believe that God is good and gracious, in fact, he, uh, he even said that if, if I, as a father, an earthly father, know how to do good for my children, <clears throat> I loved being there for my kids. I loved providing for them. I loved doing things with my children. I loved doing things with my grandchildren. He said, you know what, if you, if you know how to do that and you, are, you have that dual nature in you, the old man, how much more do I delight? Does your heavenly Father delight in doing good things for his children? His mercies are new. If I need something, God's going to provide it. Again, when it, if we search our problem, how many ever come through a situation and you look back and you could clearly see the hand of God? It may not seem like at that moment. See, those are, as Winston Churchill said, they are very well disguised. You know, we tend to see our problems. We don't see the blessings. And sometimes we get on the other side and we see the blessings. Because he provides every day. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly a realist, as I said Sunday. I'm not naive enough to believe that I'm going to live my life and, have, and not have any hardships and disappointments and difficulties. We, we will. 
Again, I said it Sunday, during the Great Depression, there were Christians in soup lines. Christians lost their jobs, lost their homes, lost, lost everything. They did. They lost it. But after the Great Depression was over, there were still Christians. There were still, there were still churches. There, it was still there. It was still there. All of us have gone through hardships and difficulties. And we can say, as we look back, had it not been for the Lord, even though things may not be where, they, where we want them to be, and in this life, we may not have what everybody else has. And again, you've got to understand, we live in a fallen world that's marred by sin, that has problems. And there will always be the haves and the have-nots. There will always be somebody that dresses better than you, lives in a, better, a bigger house than you, drives a better car than you, goes to nicer restaurants than you, goes on more vacation trips than you. Always going to be that way. But you know what? If you have the hope of heaven, heaven's the equalizer. You see, the Bible says we're not to store up treasure here on earth. See, there are a lot of people that are living out their treasure right now. And when they get there, they'll be overdrawn because they, they won't have anything. They've not invested in eternity. That's why the Bible says don't set your eyes on earthly things. Don't get fixated on these superficial things. Keep your eye on where it needs to be. Because up there... What's that old song say? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. He's preparing a place, a room for us. Streets paved with gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, crystal sea, tree of life, all there and everybody. In fact, I think you've heard me say this before, and I've got to hurry up and close, last point. I've often said that some of the heroes of, you know, again, if you see the image of St. Peter standing at the gate letting people in, and no doubt you've seen uh, renditions of people standing in line to get in. Uh, that's not how it happens. But, but just picture that if that were ha- to how it happened, if that was how it was going to happen, picture that the people in the front of the lines are not going to be the celebrities that we see on TBN and Daystar and things like that. I think, the, I think the first of the line, the first to be in line, and I'm not disparaging their ministry. Please don't read. I'm not. But I think it's going to be the unsung heroes. It's going to be the moms that make sure their children are dressed and they get to church and the dads that bring their families and the grandmas that are on their face before God and those who are decorating team that comes up and the ones that work and serve and do all these things. The ones who serve that don't get any applause. The ones that make a difference that have no appreciation from other people. God keeps an account. He keeps records. And then... All that at the beam of Christ will be given back to those. The last question, again, his mercies are due every morning. What is my hope, number four, for the future? Verse 23 simply says, great is your faithfulness. That's the hope. Our hope is built on his faithfulness, not mine. This text led Thomas Obadiah Chisholm to write a poem that became one of the most famous hymns of the 20th century. We might say something like this, great is our fickleness, great is his faithfulness. We may fail a thousand times, but God cannot fail, not even once, not even once. How many of you have ever heard of Dr. Harry Ironside? Anybody, Dr. Harry Ironside? He was a great minister of a, era, bygone era. He was approached one time by a ministry, uh, very, very generous in giving missions and ministry monies. And he was approached by a ministry <coughs> back in the 1940s that was seeking, uh, again, seeking a donation for their ministry. And so Dr. Ironside asked him, he said, how much money a week do you need to run your ministry? And they replied, $3,000. Well, 1940s, that's a lot. That's, I mean, that's a lot of money today, but that was a lot of money in 1940s, Dr. Ironside said it like this. He said, that's a lot of money. What would, you, what would happen if you did not get that money? The man said, I guess they'd put me in jail. Dr. Ironside said, well, you don't have to worry about that. God has never failed anyone yet, and you're not important enough for him to make an exception now. <laughs> 
I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> He's not going to fail now. <laughs> You're not important enough for him to do that. <laughs> Only he could do something like that. i got to bring this in for a landing. C.S. Lewis said, he who has God and many other things has no more than he who has God alone. Isn't that good? In today's materialistic world where we judge everything by, by the haves and the have-nots and what we have and what we don't have, he puts it, he who has God and many other things has no more than he who only has God. That's powerful. That's a powerful reality because we chase things and stuff. And he said, you know what? You can get all the stuff you want to. You can get a shed. You can fill that shed, get you another shed, fill that shed up, get you a rental building. You can rent that thing out, fill it up. You still don't have any more than the, girl, the guy that has, has nothing, lives under the bridge, but he has Jesus in his heart. That's the weird way of looking at it, but that's the truth. Most of us have many other things. You know, people have money, we have security, friends, family. But the question is, do we have God in our life? Do we have God in our life? If we do, then those many other things don't really matter that much. Back when the stock market crashed in 87, in particularly in 87, what was it, Black, Black Monday? Stories of people that were, had overnight lost millions. What did they do? Because they were so invested in their stuff. There were reports of people jumping out of windows of high-rise buildings, taking their own life because it was all over. When you have him, stuff doesn't matter. Listen, we can trust him as I close. We can trust him today. We can trust him tomorrow. We can trust him when we draw our last breath. Why? Because great is his faithfulness. Would you stand with me tonight? I just want to encourage you tonight as we close that his, remember, his mercies are new every morning. When you wake up in the morning, again, it may be a great habit to just visualize it to when you roll out of bed, you know, first thing, Lord, today your mercies are new. I'm going to do better today. With God's help, with your help, I'll teach you the Royal Ranger motto. With God's help, I will serve, I will serve you and I'll serve my fellow man. And if you strike out tomorrow, don't beat yourself up. Don't let the devil use you as a doormat and walk right over you. Just realize that, you know what? Friday's coming if the Lord tarries and his mercies will be new again. What you need tomorrow, he'll provide. And if you don't, if, if, and whatever you need, he's going to give it to you. And then same thing on Friday. Don't try to live off Friday. Friday's mercies and, great, and, and compassions tomorrow. Don't try to do that. Just live tomorrow in its fullness and trust in his faithfulness. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? And if you're online, if you'll just, again, comment, we'll pray with you as well. But if you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I, you know what, I needed this. I needed this reminder because I'm going through some things right now and I'm struggling a little bit. You know, I'm struggling with the holidays perhaps or maybe bills or other things. And just, just being reminded, great is his faithfulness. Again, written by a man who didn't go to high school, didn't go to college, and yet wrote such incredible words, battled sickness all of his life, and yet in the midst of all of that, he could write a song that exalted the goodness and the faithfulness of God. If you're here tonight, say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I want to I grab hold of that truth that God is faithful. Just slip here and write it right back down, and we're going to pray. Amen. If you're online, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you as well. Father, tonight I love you, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, the consistency. Lord, the theological term is that you are immutable. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, the same one who moved us in the past is the same one today. And the same one who provides today will be with us tomorrow should you tarry. And, Father, I pray that that will bring comfort and, and strength to us. Lord, I pray this, this as we close this service tonight that, Lord, again, you remind us that you are faithful it is, it is your promise to us that you love us because you've promised to love us. You've committed to love us, and your faithfulness never runs out. 
So, Father, may we walk in that truth and may we walk in that peace. And I pray that when we sleep tonight, that we sleep soundly, knowing that you're faithful, you are a faithful God, and it has nothing to do with my fickleness or my faithlessness. You remain faithful. So, Lord, may that bring comfort and strength to us. May we face the challenges tomorrow, realizing that we have new mercies every day and that you will provide what we need. Lord, I pray that we walk out with us, with us, uh, when we wake up, that we wake up with a spring in our step and a song in our heart, declaring your faithfulness. Lord, should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday, even now ordain what you're going to do. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thanks for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.